Hello, this is Bill Curley. And Holly Hudley. And welcome to the podcast In Between, which is an educational offering of St. Paul's United Methodist Church and Ordinary Life. So it's Tuesday, Election Day. It is, and uh, we have a special guest with us this afternoon. But this is uh, election day, and it's early afternoon, and we have no idea what the outcome is going to be. Holly did just show me a picture on her iPhone that someone sent her about uh, businesses being boarded up in New York. Anyway, I got this prayer that I would like Mm -hmm. to read. It's by Nadia Bose Weber, and so you know that it's, uh, it's a good one. It's a prayer for election day. Dear God, this week is a doozy. If anxiety produced a sound, it would be deafening right now. Open my ears to the sounds I need most. The wild geese overhead, Aretha Franklin's amazing grace, the sound of my friend on the other end of the phone, the sugar-high laughter of children who need us to dial down the doom. If fear could be seen, it would be obscuring everything else. Open my eyes to the sights I need most, my puppy underfoot with a toy in her mouth, ready to play, the brightening of my neighbor's eyes under their mask when I pass them in the stairwell, the sidewalk covered in an oak tree's fallen leaves like nature's confetti. If sorrow could be tasted, the bitterness would overcome me. Open my mouth to the sweetness I need, words of kindness, deep unhurried kisses, and absolutely as much Ben and Jerry's as I deem necessary. Help me remember that you are in the other side of Tuesday, no matter what. Mm. Amen. That was a good prayer. Good prayer. So Adam Deloach is our guest today, a long time, very faithful attendee of Ordinary Life. Hi, Adam. Um, I want to start out by saying on the in-between, I really like the intro music. I don't know where you guys found it or what have you, but uh, sounds great. I really I had to buy it, but thanks. <laughs> I was wondering that too. I didn't know if you still were belting yeah. that out or... Uh... We, I, we've been practicing our gospel, but um, in, we've gotten significantly better, but we're missing that really high voice at the in the background. So next week... <laughs> Adam, why don't you start by telling us kind of your journey into ordinary life and sort of. Um, Specifically with ordinary life, uh, similar to Dr. Curley, I was raised Southern Baptist and uh, pretty, pretty strictly, um, at least uh, in, in appearance. Um, The, uh, uh, so and I can get into more of this later, but uh, but so I started dating my wife in my to be wife uh, in 2004, and she was a member of St. Paul's since she was 18. And so, and I was living in Midtown, so we started going to St. Paul's, and um, which was her church, and. So I was already suspect in my family's eyes for going to a Methodist church, Um, uh, but uh, 
you know, it's still Protestant. So, <laughs> you know, it, it, it passed a little bit of muster. Um, so, you know, I went to St. Paul's for years and, uh, you know, looking for Sunday schools, did a lot of different things, Bible study, this, that, and the other. Always heard of Ordinary Life, always heard of Dr. Curley, and was always suspect of what might be in there. And um, a lot of this has to do with my upbringing and the fear that was ingrained in me. But um, I really... I was so eager and so ready to grow up and, and experience, even if it's completely wrong, I, tr I finally trusted myself to be able to go into somewhere, hear someone speak and make my own decision as to whether or not that was right, is what I want to hear, what I believe, you know, I, I could handle whatever it is that's being discussed. And so, um, I go in and well, actually what I started to do was uh, I started downloading the podcast and this was right at the beginning of podcasting um, early days. And in fact, all those old uh, podcasts are no long aren't on the current uh, program because we, we had to come. Yeah. For some reason, Richard had to completely start a new podcast, but um, I, I, I listened to as much as those as I could, um, and I was just engrossed. I was just, I was sold. I was in. I, I was hearing things that I had always suspected, but was not able to, to bring myself to believe, you know, or bring myself to ex accept, or bring myself to even consider. Um, and, and so... I started attending Ordinary Life, and about this time is around the time of the, um, the end of the Bush uh, presidency when the economy collapsed, and then you had this new candidate, Barack Obama, who I was being told, because at the time I was still under all of the old influences that I was growing up, still, I was still a child, I was, I was 29 years old. And, um, and I was still, you know, hearing that he's a Muslim <laughs> today. I'd be like, so, but <laughs> you know, back then, you know, he's a secret Muslim. He's this, he's that I'm being told this constantly mm -hmm. on news, quote unquote news on news, quote unquote news radio, um, all the different sources that, uh, you know, all this evilness and, and, and it was through listening to Dr. Curley, I said, you know what? I don't believe this anymore. You know, it, it was like I needed someone within the Christian church to give me that permission to say, you know what? It's okay to mm -hmm. think for yourself. It's okay to have thoughts, to have questions. It is, is completely okay to have questions. It, 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 you are allowed to do so. And in answering those questions is your life's journey. You're not just here to accept the answers that other people, human beings are giving you or telling you that that's how it is. And so I, you know, I completely had a breakdown 
had to start seeing a therapist, had to start seeing, uh, start taking medication because I was having a, um, basically anxiety and panic attacks. So that's what happens when you lose your security blanket. You can live your entire life going, hey, what that guy says is correct because I've been told that my entire life and that's what I was told growing up and I'll just keep believing it because as long as I believe that, you know, I have something to hold on to. All of a sudden I was out there with nothing to hold on to. And here I am trying to raise a family and here I am, um, you know, I had a roughly a 10-year-old stepson or at, no, at that point, eight-year-old eight stepson, you know, and I had a, had a wife and, and I've got an income and, and a mortgage and this and that. And, and all of a sudden it's like, you have no safety blanket. And on top of that, no one around you believes what hmm. you believe now. And I lost it all and I was scared. And I started, you know, I started having panic, panic attacks and I started having anxiety issues. And it, it, of course, add on to that, the fact that our economy was completely falling through the floor. Um, it is good, however, because I, I remember I, emailing Dr. Curley and saying, you know what, thank you, because I can't tell you how many nights I, I laid in bed um, scared that I wasn't, this is as a child growing up laying in bed at night, scared, unable to sleep because I was having thoughts that what if things weren't true? I was even questioning or doubting my faith. And if you even question or doubt it, you know, then you aren't truly saved and you're going to go to hell. And I was scared. I was a scared child. It's a really cruel thing that I think religion does to children is is scare them, um, scare them into being good or scare them into believing something um, so that they conform to what are, what the parents usually want or what's easy for the family of origin. Um, Bill, I'm sure you've heard a version of that story many times in your office and in your, your life as a spiritual director. director. Well, yeah, when we let go, as Adam so succinctly put it of our security blanket and have nothing to hold on to that is terrifying but what i'm thinking adam is that um and and you i just in interest of full disclosure adam and i've had several lunches where we've talked about this sort of thing and uh he's told me about things from his past and churches that he attended one of the vivid memories that I have, Adam, is that you're telling me that you went to a church or some of your family went to a church where the preacher actually told you how to vote? <laughs> yes. We were told to vote Republican. Straight up. There's no there was no no kind of talking around it or this or that. No. We were told to vote Republican. Wow. Anyway, what I was gonna say is that um Adam would be in that group of people earlier, not now, he's no longer there, who would say to me after class some Sundays, you know, you don't give me anything to hold on to. And sometimes I would be a, a kind of a smart aleck in my response and sometimes much more compassionate and pastoral and say nothing. But in my heart, I was saying, yes, <laughs> mm -hmm. because the whole, the whole of the spiritual journey is to get it that we 
we don't hold on to. We're not in control. We're held. And, and um, I think a lot of religion is designed to, to provide us protection from the anxiety and grief that we experience when we realize we are not in control. But, mm -hmm. you know, the prophetic tradition, and I'm drawing this from Isaiah, says, uh, uh, I, I have called you by name, you're mine. I don't, I mean, the, the other side of that coin is, you don't, I don't belong to you. You belong to me. And, and that's the journey that Adam's made. Yeah, that gets, makes me think, Adam, of this subtle difference. Um, Victor Frankl wrote The Man's Search for Meaning, which Bill has talked about over the years. And I've actually been reading it for my um, PhD. And he says, we should not ask what do we want out of life, but what does life want from us? And it's that sort of, it decenters us. Um, the floor falls away. And it's like, oh, shoot, there's the ocean, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, that's, and James Baldwin wrote, um, love does not begin and end the way we seem to think it does. Love is a battle. Love is a war. Love is a growing up. And so I'm wondering, along that sort of process of growing up, did you find or fall in love with what? Well, so I was 30 then. I'm 40 now. Uh, so I spent my 30s, early 30s to mid 30s, grappling with it, mm. um, uh, wrestling with God. He injured my leg. It's a biblical reference. Right. Yeah, I got it. <laughs> Jacob, in case. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But um, uh, I spent my, uh, you know, that time grappling him to come, you know, also growing up as a person, you know, that's a, that's a time when there's a lot of growing up to do as a, as a father and a, and a person, you know, mm -hmm. and at this point, I'm kind of, uh, you know, in the last few, say three, four years, you know, I, I've really reached um, a lot of understanding, a lot of, a lot of peace. I, I know there's still a long way to go, but, um, I kind of feel, you know, like I have a cheat code and that, uh, you know, I've gotten to read James Hollis's book about the second half of life and I haven't, I, I'm just now here, you know, um, by the way, not the greatest gift to give your parents. Um, <laughs> which one, the James Hollis book? Hey, you're old, Whoa. read this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, and, uh, well. anyways, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it, it really, it, it, I, I have, thanks to ordinary life, got to kind of embrace a lot of things that now even people that are older than me have, have yet to kind of have to address in their life. Uh, I, I feel, I feel mm -hmm. like a lot of people, Part of the reason why, you know, I like to spread the word about ordinary life, but not proselytize because I do not want to come off as aggressive. But the reason, you know, if someone asks, I, I'll <laughs> tell them about, you know, hey, it's a cool class, what have you, is that, um, you know, I feel like so many people live such shallow lives in, in, in the unquestioned life. You know, there's the, um, 
the quote out there uh, is the unexamined life worth living. You know, I feel like there's so many people out there just living that unexamined life. And there's so much to see. There's so, there's so much to do. I, I, you know, and, and also learning about the, you know, the historical Jesus and so many people in America have put him in this Christian box. And, and, and it's not even about mm -hmm. Jesus. And, and that's the funny thing about it. it. It's not even about, it's not even about Jesus per se. It's about an entire attitude. It's about an entire way of seeing things and not being open to, to, um, you know, what truly is as opposed to, uh, narratives. And that's something that I know you two, uh, in your lessons and in the in-between podcast have really been trying to, to, to break down and, and digest, uh, here lately, um, especially, you know, making people see the narrative upon which they were, they were born into you know? Mm -hmm. um. Yeah. So Adam, I'm curious if it's not too personal, what, uh, what reaction now do you get from your family of origin about where you are in your spiritual journey? So I was talking to a Reverend McDonald and he made a comment one time about, uh, you know, he comes from East Texas churches and such. And uh, about how his friend, a friend of his had said, oh, so you're at St. Paul's now, you get to come out as a liberal, okay? You get to come out. Um, yeah. <laughs> actually, I've had discussions with him about that, but I think also he said that on your podcast as well. Um, yes, uh, he did, you're right. He, he said what? <laughs> he said when we interviewed him that he got to come out oh, once yeah, he came yeah. to St. Paul's, both in favor of LGBTQIA so, community. Me, my wife, and our children are all in the closet. And I have to live that way 24-7. At work, at, at family, you know, work, family, my online appearance, I, I do not, I, I watch, you know, Twitter. I've gotten off Facebook. But when I was on, I never made a single, you know, I would never like or dislike anything political. Um, I think that because I don't join in the rabble rousing, okay, and because I am one of the few, I'm trying to think, uh, that actually, that, that is college educated and that I am and always have been suspect mm. in their eyes, you know, and, um, because I don't, I don't join in because I know, you know, I don't, you know, I just don't join in. And so, um, we are, it, it's kind of like that cousin who's in the closet whenever you're younger and everybody kind of knows, but you don't talk about it. You know what I mean? Um, so, and, and ironically, in the same family, we've all, we had mm -hmm. <laughs> several cousins like that, that we've had that situation. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, you know, that, that's, that's where we are. We don't openly say anything. We take a lot. We, we have to hear a lot of things that are disgusting. Mm. We have to hear a lot of things that are um, mean and we just have to nod, grin, and, and, and change the subject or walk away. 
Mm. And so it, it, it is where it is. And, and that ironically, you know, the sad part is, is that it'd be one thing if it was religion. Okay. It'd be one thing, but um, starting in the 1970s with the embrace with the embracing of the, the religious right uh, the Republicans with the religious religious people and that marriage and I mean like I said with my church telling you vote Republican um, with um, you know politics has replaced religion to a massive mm. degree to a massive to an amazingly massive degree mm-hmm. you know um, well, here's a question. It's, Do you think that they should be entirely separate? And Bill, I'd love to hear you respond to that too. Yes and no. Yes and no. I think that um, they should be separate to a degree um, of uh, common, common sense. You know, whether or not we get new trees at the park or whether or not we tax a little more to have more library books or something to that effect is not religious base. But what happened was, is you had a usurping of, of religion and fundamentalism um, by a, by politics Mm -hmm. to where now they're so tied together that one has actually taken over the other. And that, go ahead. I, I think what you see happening, and this is um, this is scary for a lot of people to hear, and I, I have not gotten any any response from what we did on Sunday yet. Holly. Yeah, one. <laughs> but, we got one. It was positive. okay. I'd, I'd like to hear about that, but um, I, it, we're moving into an era where what I call the parachurch organizations are stripping, stepping away from the denominational stances that have wedded politics and religion together, particularly on the right side of the theological spectrum, the more conservative to fundamental side where religion and politics have gotten wedded. And what I'm thinking about are things like the huge number of people who are part of the audience of the Center for Action and Contemplation, which is Richard Rohr's organization. And um, to say, as Holly and I have been saying, especially lately since the murder of George Floyd, that we, we religious people have to take a compassionate stance toward everybody in the culture. And compassion doesn't mean... Uh, p- p- Compassion is not separate from issues of justice. Mm -hmm. And so uh, the church has to come down on the side of what is right for the least among us. That's a a Jesus test. As you have done it to the least of these, you have done it to me. And um, it certainly seems to me that those on the right side of the political spectrum are not focused on that, interested in that. I mean, I'm thinking about today where you've got people who are have up until the last minute been actively involved in trying to disenfranchise 
disenfranchise people mm-hmm. from voting. And the people that they're trying to keep from voting are people of color and people uh, in lower economic mm-hmm. places. This is where, um, Adam, when you said, you know, the floor kind of dropped out from under you. So I imagine there's yet another um, level of your building that may need to fall out as there probably is for each of us at, at various life stages. But, um, but that, you know, Jesus as a historical figure, which I too had, have been transformed by learning about Jesus in that way, both from a professor in college and then from Bill and from the Jesus seminar folks. But um, Jesus blew the doors off and said, there's this other way of thinking about the world. And it's both deeply political and apolitical at the same time. It's both deeply spiritual and a-religious at the same time. Like it's, you know, I kind of think of it, Bill, one day in class, you pronounced atheistic as a-theistic, right? right? And I, and that to me is such a nice distinction because that's kind of what Jesus said. It's like, come on in, <laughs> the water's fine and everyone belongs here, which is a deeply political atheistic thing to say given the time that jesus was in and it seems like that is also true in our time you know in our sort of deeply divided space and i i i think i would like to hear churches be more prescient around issues of justice and compassion where it does involve the least of these you know those who have been historically disenfranchised Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there was a time when, when the right wing media was saying, if your church is saying the word social justice, you need to leave. Hmm. That was they were saying this is the new buzzword. If you hear it, you know, it's not, it's not right. They're they're pushing liberal agenda on you. But uh, it's the same deal with agnostic, mm-hmm. agnostic, which I, I've always found kind of funny because uh, other than those who are Gnostics, we all kind of don't know, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, but uh, yeah, I agree. I mean, the, the, the Jesus seminar, I mean, I've read uh, the gospel of Thomas multiple times, uh, just trying to find something in there. Uh, it's just, or interpret it with my own mind. Uh, it, it, it is very fun. <laughs> <laughs> we could spend another year <laughs> on that. <laughs> Yeah, well, no, I love <laughs> Thomas. Yeah, but um, I I went and bought a copy and I've read it multiple times and and I even studied up on Gnosticism and all their uh, Scientology like beliefs and uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, it is actually some pretty funny yeah. stuff. Uh, you get, I mean, they really get into like multiple worlds and our God is actually like the the off god the bad god and blah 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 but uh it, it's real fun learning about a lot of that stuff and uh, but uh the gospel of thomas is uh you know the tongue on fire the the, the things that are in there or are just uh amazing to me and, 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 and it's real fun feeling like it, it's almost like it's almost like, you know, going to this class and such, you know, I've kind of been let in, you know, behind some kind of closed doors, behind some sort of like facade that's, that was up for so many years. And, 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 and 
you know, and I've heard this from not only Dr. Hurley, but I think from Dr. Bankston and from others that, um, you know, it's like they, they all learn these things in school, but you don't go saying them in front of mm. the, the, the parishioners or what yeah. have you, you know, and uh, it's very, it's very cool. Bill, Bill you said that before, <laughs> that, you, that what you, what is sort of talked about, teased through in seminary is not what you, not what you're taught to bring to the pulpit, so to speak. Is that? Well, um, I think one of the great failings of Protestant, particularly Protestant um, educational curriculum, the kind of thing that would be taught in, let's say, Sunday school classes across Protestantism, that the exciting discoveries that began to be being made in the mid-40s, when the Dead Sea Scrolls were, were discovered, <clears throat> And they, these writings, they weren't immediately made known to what was called the academy, but they were soon made known. And, and um, pastors got frightened about taking this stuff from the seminary into the pulpit because it was going to challenge the uh, tribal beliefs of the local, uh, the local denomination. I, I, I will tell you a true story. Sad true story. I do not remember when the Revised Standard Version of the Bible was translated, but I'm thinking it must have been sometime in the late 40s, early 50s, somewhere in there. A seminary classmate of mine had a copy of the Revised Standard Version of the Bible in his study. And uh, during those days, seminary lasted, seminary academic classes lasted four days a week to give students an opportunity to spend three days a week serving their churches. So uh, he went back to his church uh, on a Friday following classes to discover that his entire study at the church had been packed up, put in boxes, and put in the halls of the churches with the expectation that he would put it in a pickup truck and take it away because he had lost his job because he had a copy of the Revised Standard Version of the Bible. And um, sad but true, a lot of people who control the money for churches uh, don't they're conservative people and they don't like things going against their conservative teachings and values. So if you say anything that upsets that particular demographic, they withhold funds. And so it's a very political That's, game. I mean, what you just said, I think is, um, I rem and I remember Dr. Bankston going through this um, kind of mid midway, maybe through his tenure at at St. Paul's when he, he was vocal about inclusion, he was vocal about changing the charter. And um, I imagine, I don't, I don't remember how many, I, I can't count them, but he probably lost a number of people. But I feel like St. Paul's probably gained a lot more, you know? I mean, I, I feel like when you open those doors of um, inclusivity or of um, a new way of seeing, you know, that Jesus gave us a new way of seeing. 
uh, that you actually make more room, even if you risk the loss of some. Mm -hmm. So it, in addressing um, kind of what Dr. Curley was talking about, there's good news and bad news. Mm -hmm. uh, and both are that we are in between the not yet and the no longer. Mm -hmm. The good news is, is that there are more and more people, thanks to the internet, thanks to um, time, thanks to boldness by people like Dr. Curley and yourself, uh, Holly, um, there that more people are open and willing and addressing and, um, you know, quote unquote, progressive, let's call them progressive issues, be they religiously progressive. And I'm, it's so hard to say that because it's such a loaded term, but I'm not talking about politics. I'm talking about the literal word right. progressive. Um, uh, so the good news is that there's so many people willing to open their eyes and consider and look at and talk about things like that. Bad news is 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 threatening the to the go back to order. what we've been talking yeah. about the security blanket of so many people and causing such a backlash mm -hmm. that we're breaking apart. This is not the only reason we're breaking apart. This is not the only thing that we're fighting each other on, but it is a major part. It is a big part. And it's, and it's pulling us apart because a lot of people will not and cannot let go because it's A, either the only thing they have, and, and that can be white supremacy, that can be, um, that can be uh, uh, I'm Christian, mm -hmm. I've, I've made a profession of faith, therefore no matter what I do, I am going to heaven, period, the end, and people that have not done that are not, they are going to hell. Um, and it, it, that's scary. It's, it's damn scary. Mm -hmm. And, and so, and we're stuck in this kind of middle universe and, and it's, and it's in, in, in the, the, the thing about it is the thing, the thing that, that we have to realize and the thing that I think everyone has to realize is we're going to progress. We're going to move forward. Can you, I can't think of a time we haven't. I mean, you know, all the things about Galileo, you know, you can, you can temporarily within a band of time regress. And I think we have here in the last few years, you can temporarily uh, stall, you can slow down, but we continue to move forward as human beings, even if it takes war, if it takes what have you. And so that's the good news, but it's also the bad news. I mean, it, the, I've said this so many times, I feel like in the last couple of minutes, evolution is long and it is slow. And yeah. but it is also inevitable. It is also inevitable. I think that's, yeah. a, I think that's Adam's yeah. point is that, you know, uh, last week, Cindy Wigglesworth said uh, it may take 10 yeah. years, may take 50 years, may take 100 years, but... Uh, there is going to be inevitable evolution that um, brings the facts of science mm -hmm. and our philosophies more and more where they overlap. That's just inevitable. It's going to happen. 
It may not even be, and this is maybe something that's hard to think about um, with the human species. We're not the end of the line. And, and this is, I think, challenging for us because we think we're the, pretty much the coolest thing that's happened in evolution. Um, because we see the world through our eyes. We make art about it and we write songs about it and we, you know, we, we paint uh, murals about it. But, um, but evolu and evolution doesn't end with us. And I think that that's a, that for me is humbling. Um, you must be listening to Naval Harari. To who? Reading Homeraeus. Yeah, it's, I mean, you know, I mean, I think it's just like, how do we, and, and then the, the thing that I keep going back to over the last couple of weeks is um, the arc of time of, is not inevitable. The, the arc of the moral universe is not inevitable. And, and Dr. King really spoke to that. He was like, time is neutral. Time doesn't, time doesn't have a like, I like you people, but I don't like the dinosaurs. It doesn't have these sort of opinions. It doesn't go, I want to get rid of the dinosaurs so I can make way for mammals. You know, it's like, mm -hmm. we also yeah. act upon time. And I think that's something I want to be really um, diligent about is yes, evolution does happen. Yes, things do seem to widen, but we also have choices to make. And that is, yeah. you know, what what you're saying, um, what both of you are saying, uh, reminds me that there's something about Christianity's history mm -hmm. that wants it to be um, triumphant and exclusionary and at the top of the pile. And that is such an arrogant stance to take. I, I remember that the way I that... I want to say the that, whitewashed um, version of Christianity. The, well, a uh, white folk <laughs> version, white male folk <laughs> version of it, the top of the pile. And uh, I think, although I have said this and modified it in my way, I got this line from Richard Orr years ago. He said, it is so arrogant to think that God waited until the, the, the mid-30s or 40s to say anything, and when God said it, he said it to Southern Baptist in Tennessee. <laughs> I mean, that's so parochial, provincial, narrow, yeah. but that's exactly what, you know, back to the question I asked you earlier, Adam, uh, if Dr. Jeff McDonald got up at St. Paul's and said either vote Republican or vote Democratic, that would cause a big uproar. You would lose your tax exempt status. That's yeah. interesting. In yeah. fact, in fact, that already that's already been challenged. If you remember a little while back, and I think it had something to do with Mayor Turner or maybe Mayor Parker, uh, where they were going after churches who were supporting certain bills or something to that effect. Mm -hmm. That you know, do you remember this story? This, yeah, this, yeah, yeah. years ago. They were going after their tax exempt status because they were supporting a certain there was right. something. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No. I mean, if 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 he, he did that at St. Paul's, that would not be taken over well, but you know, he can talk about morals. He can talk right. about the right things to do. He can talk about things like that. Well, I before we before we go, Adam, I need and want to thank you for your uh, hanging in there and uh, enduring the panic attacks. Um, 
but more than that, I want to thank you for the, the role you played in consistently making sure that when we began live streaming, you were there every Sunday to do the camera work on Facebook and whatever to make sure that that happened. I'm really indebted to you for that. Because of that, our technology has evolved because you got us <laughs> to this place and said, y'all, you got to join this century. So thank you for that. Oh my yeah. God. Yeah. yeah. Adam. Really appreciate you guys having me. I'm so glad you came to talk to us. Sorry it took us so long. Um, it'd be nice to be in person and uh, we'll get there. I miss that. Yeah. I do too. I miss that. I agree that a lot. And we would, we will get back in person again. Um, probably not this year, but it's going to happen. And um, I think our big task right now is just to get through the next 24 hours and keep our sanity about us and see what happens. Yeah. And I hope, I hope that there was really no need to board up the windows in any city. I hope we can be gracious winners and losers at the end of the day. Thank you, Adam. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Thanks, Adam. It.